Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we'll get to more of your calls and conversations as we count you down to Cavs and Knicks Game 4 coming your way at 1 o'clock. But right now we're going to go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline covers the Cavs as part of the Locked on Cavs podcast. And of course, the Write Down Euclid newsletter that I get in my email every week. He does a great job with it all. He's Evan Damro. What's up, Evan? Not much, man. How are you? Also, I like the uh, the uh, Jay Z uh, New York sting on the way in. That was all. That. Yeah, that was all Dominic. He's. I, I, I sense the theme. The theme. The thematic part of it is that you're playing the Knicks. It's New York. It's the mm-hmm. Big Apple. It's the funny thing about that song too. And I've told this story on the air before. So when I came to college in Cleveland, here, Evan, I, I'm from Rochester, New York, originally. And that mm-hmm. song was like the bee's knees at the time. It was like late 2010s, right? Or mm-hmm. just kind of around that, that era. And I would go to parties and that song would come on and everybody would be like, oh, Spencer, this is, this is like your song, man. You're from New York. And I'd be like, guys, you realize that where I live in New York, it's actually closer for me to get here than it is to New York City. Like I don't have much a connection with New York City whatsoever. That's. That's funny. Um, I feel like that's for every state, though. It's just like everyone just assumes when you're from Ohio, you're an Ohio State fan. And I remember one time I was at a bar in Columbus, mind you, but the guy was losing his mind over the Buckeyes, I think, winning the Big Ten championship. And, I mean, I'm having a good time. And he's just like, man, why aren't you losing your mind? I'm like, I have no dog in the fight. I went to Akron and we're at soccer and basketball school. That's like Ken. Ken would just kind of be like, eh, yeah. it's whatever. It's, it's not yep. that big of a deal to me. I'm an Akron grad. Yeah, it's the other thing with New York, too, people here in New York, and they think that New York basically just consists of New York City and then just like a bunch of land. Like, they don't really know what else is outside of New York City and Long mm-hmm. Island and all that. And I that, that's one of my biggest pet peeves because I consider myself from Western New York, but there's so many people out there who just say, well, I'm from upstate New York, and that just means like the entire rest of the state. It's like, so that doesn't give anybody mm-hmm. any indication of where you're actually from. But anyway, I digress. But, yeah. Let's so, talk. Funnily enough, New York's not even the capital of New York. It's Albany. Yeah, yeah. which that's probably uh, – people kind of know where Albany is because that's just sort of beyond upstate, I guess. Or par- I guess mm-hmm. I guess Albany can be kind of considered an upstate because it's kind of that direction. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it, the, the way people describe New York to me is just – it boggles my mind. Regardless, let's talk some Cavs-Knicks. I'll start with just kind of the the go-to question here going into this game four. Is today a must-win for the Cavs, Evan? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say so. Just considering how shell-shocked Cleveland looked ha- leading Game 3, or at least just on the court in Game 3, 
they're certainly saying all the right things. I think J.B. Vickerstaff cracking jokes and keeping things light is certainly the right mindset to go into this one because you shouldn't act like this is a funeral. You should go out there and have fun and keep playing your identity and just who you are as a team. Just stick to that mantra. But I would say this is a must win just because New York has to feel pretty good about themselves because, one, they already steal a game, the opening game at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, and they they defended home court very well. Sure, the first quarter is a bit of an anomaly for either team because nobody could make a shot, but New York settled in and imposed their will in that second quarter. And um, I, I, my buddy um, Alex at Knicks Fan TV did point out that whichever team seems to win the second quarter seemingly wins this game uh, mm. just in this series so far. So maybe that's a little bit of an indicator of how Cleveland's doing or maybe how New York is doing as well. But I'd say this is a must win just because if Cleveland is coming back home 3-1, they could defend home court, but they have yet to win in the Garden this year, and yeah. they need to kind of get that out of the way sooner instead of later so they don't drag this out much further because if you're heading back to the Garden, let's say down 3-2, it's going to be tough, but I think you'd rather have in your back pocket going home 2-2 instead of uh, you know facing the uh, barrel of elimination. As we think about adjustments that J.B. Bickerstaff can make, and, and to be clear, I've said this on the air already today, Like I thought it was fine that he tried to insert Karis LeVert into the starting lineup. I thought it was a smart move. He's trying to play the chess game. You were getting more from him offensively than you were Isaac Okoro, and we saw the numbers of how he did against Jalen Brunson on the defensive end, where I think it warranted making that that switch, but... What are you kind of going into this game feeling is the biggest adjustment or maybe a couple of different adjustments that you feel need to be made for the Cavs to have a chance in this one? Uh, so I agree with you at the top. I, I understand the optics of starting Karis Laverto Rise at the Coral just because you're entering a hostile environment. Um, clearly, you could tell New York was amped up, so maybe the Cavs just kind of were able to see the future a little bit or at least had an understanding of how amped up it was going to be, and it didn't work. And I think I, again, I understand why J.B. Bickerstaff did that because you want to build that offensive momentum as early as possible in a hostile environment. But maybe you want to course correct back to what worked in game two and you do try Isaac Okoro out as a starting three just to kind of be that point of attack defender to keep Jalen Brunson from finding a rhythm and a bit of a rapport because Nick, New York is just such an isolation-heavy team that if they kind of cut off the head of the snake or their just main offensive threat in Jalen Brunson, it makes it a little harder for them to comfortable um, in the garden today. And for Karis LeVert, I think just what works best for him is with him coming off the bench and finding a rhythm and a rapport with just one of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, it makes it a little bit easier to close the game when all three of those guys, or at least two of those guys, are firing on all cylinders. But just looking at the optics overall, you need to get Darius Garland locked, loaded, and ready to go. You need to tap back into what you found in game two, and maybe that's the big showing that they're not rattled by Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle and just kind of locking things down on the defensive side of the ball for Cleveland. And maybe it's Donovan Mitchell bending the defense a little bit on New York side of things just to give Garland a little bit more of those easy shot opportunities. And sure, he got a lot of good wide-open looks in game three to open the game, but they weren't falling. But hopefully this time around, Garland just kind of digs deep and bounces back from a pretty – Poor performance, uh, all things considered, in Game 3. Talking with Evan Tamarell, Locked on Cavs, and the Write Down Euclid uh, newsletter. You can follow him on Twitter, at AmNotEvan. I have an adjustment for you. This is kind of off the wall, but I'm going to throw it at you. Sure. Should JB at all consider bringing 
Uh, Jarrett Allen off the bench. Reason I say this, like, and this is no disrespect to Jarrett Allen. Like, I, I, I think he's a fine player, and I certainly know his importance to this team throughout the season. But you're not getting much from him offensively. Defensively, he's not really giving you much. And and on the boards, I mean, the other night he just gets five rebounds. Like, if he's not even giving you that, I don't know that his presence out there is as necessary as it might have seemed, at least for this matchup or this series. So mm-hmm. a chance to maybe go a little bit smaller to start the game would be something that would certainly throw a wrench into things for the Knicks, something they're maybe not used to. Is that something you think JB should consider? That's actually that's an interesting proposal. It's a good question, too, because I understand the optics of it because if you go smaller, New York is a team that plays with two bigs. Sure, Randall's more of a traditional four, but he's a bigger player. And matchup-wise, New York matches up well with Cleveland playing two bigs is just on the other side of things. And, yeah, that, that could make sense. It's just do you want to sacrifice the possible defensive upside and then overtax Evan Mobley a little bit because, sure, there's moments when Allen was dealing with that eye injury, um, that Mobley really stepped up the plate and looked, frankly, dominant as the starting five for Cleveland and the Cavs just filtering in um, players alongside him, whether it's um, Jetty Osman or, like, Karis the Bird starting the three and Isaac Okoro the four. It's all relative. It's more positionless at that point. We're looking at the one through four spots. But I think that could be a wrinkle, but maybe you Start the game with Allen just to maybe not let Mitchell Robinson in. Because the only issue with that is that the Knicks could start two bigs and then gobble up a ton more offensive rebounds because they're just going to outsize and out-physical right, right. whoever's starting at the four. And then Evan Mobley could only do so much. So I think that's a wrinkle. I think that's something Cleveland actually saw a ton of successes in game two, and I'm surprised they didn't go with more often just with playing Danny Green, of all people, at the four. Because, sure, Danny Green – is more known as a perimeter defender, but physically he just isn't able to hang with the guards and smaller wings out there that New York throws their way. And if he can handle Julius Randle well enough, at least on the perimeter when Randle kind of feeds into his own bad habits. But I, I just think from the rebounding edge and just the fact that New York may smell blood in the water, you don't want to give them any momentum or confidence. Yeah. And big plays off second chance opportunities are something New York feeds off of, especially with that crowd. And, you want to kind of silence as much of that off-court and just outside noise as you can, and maybe you just impose your will a little bit. But then, yeah, look at those smaller lineups. I agree. Like, did the Cavs have a lot of success in game two? I think they find a lot of success when they sometimes maybe separate and just keep one of Mitchell or Garland on the floor, one of Allen or Mobley on the floor, and, like, they find a lot of success just filtering and role players at that. But that that's an interesting hypothetical i mean if you yeah. really want to throw something in the wall and hope it sticks maybe you do try that but well and yeah. it's, uh, on some level evan like I, I throw that out there it does kind of come off as like almost like a desperation move like that would be something you would try as a last ditch effort to gain some sort mm-hmm. of advantage right like I, and i don't and to be clear i don't think jb does this today maybe oh, to yeah. your point he tries it throughout the game like maybe there's some moments where he's like let's try small and see how this works for us um, I don't mm-hmm. think he pulls him out of the starting lineup, though, just because we know their identity is defense, and Jared Allen has been paramount to that identity throughout the year. I, and, mm-hmm. and JB's not going to back off of the thing that's got him here, and I do believe that. Correct. So I, I, I do think he probably doesn't, but it was an idea I kind of thought of, and I, I wondered oh. if it would be something that, could, that we could see throughout either today or throughout the rest of the series. Oh, it's a great idea. I think – just the way New York operates and functions, they like to play fast. They have a lot of young legs that can get out in the fast break. And I think Cleveland has 
bodies to do that between Garland, Mitchell, Osmond, Okoro, Allen, and Mobley. Like, I don't think Danny Green really has the stamina to do that anymore, but you can have him as a trailing shooter. Like The Cavs have the personnel. It's just schematically that's not how they play, but they did yeah. find success with that. So maybe there is a way they can work that in just some as a wrinkle. And as you said, like, JD, that might seem like a move of desperation, but the Cavs are in a bit of a spot right now where they kind of have to maybe dig as deep as possible into their playbook and try a lot of unconventional things just to see if they can grind out a win against a very hostile Knicks crowd, a very hostile and amped up Knicks team, and steal a win in the Garden because you really need to come home tied up 2-2 through the Cavs. A few more minutes here with Evan Tamara of Locked on Cavs. Um... What do you expect them from Donovan Mitchell today? Because, listen, he goes for 38 in game one, but the Cavs still lose in a, in a game that they sort of slept walk through initially and then pulled themselves mm-hmm. out of, took a late lead, and then blew it. Um, game two, it was good that he didn't have to take over because Donovan or Darius Garland was playing so well, um, and he kind mm-hmm. of conceded to just being that more of a facilitator, which I thought was great, and it's great that he can sort of accept that role when he needs to. I thought in game three... He was try. It felt like he was trying desperately just to like let's stay within the offense and try to get this thing working and get other guys involved. And then it just got too overwhelming, and he waited too long to maybe try to take over. But I was expecting at some point for him to just kind of take over. I think at this point, like if your fans, who some of these fans have been complaining all season about, well, why do we make this trade? You know, we could get out of the first, or we could get through the first round of the playoffs with uh, Lowry Markinen and. Colin Sexton and these guys that we traded for Donovan Mitchell, and we still have first-round picks. Like These are some of the, the stances that people are going to have. And I just wonder, mm-hmm. like, are we waiting for a Donovan Mitchell performance, particularly on this stage in New York, a, a, the team he grew up watching, where he just kind of takes over and does what he did at the end of the regular season? I think that could be the break glass. Like we mentioned going small, like that's your break glass in case of an emergency scenario. Mm. Because to your point, Mitchell hasn't, I mean, he had a strong game in game one, but the rest of the Cavs didn't meet him at the summit just to kind of push them over the edge because it was a lot of just too little too late. It felt like for Cleveland, just with how New York kind of bullied them in game one. But then in like a to your point in game two, Mitchell was the creator for Cleveland offensively. And I think, New York maybe overcorrected a little too much and tried to defend Mitchell as much as possible. And he's like, okay, Darius, they're defending me a ton. I need you to take advantage of these wide open looks. And like, it's that big brother, little brother, mutual respect relationship they have with each other. And Darius fed off of it. And in game three, you could see Mitchell and the Cavs were clearly flustered. I know they had a close up of him on at least the ESPN broadcast where you could see Mitchell like catching his breath and like trying to calm himself down just because it's so amped up out there. The emotions are so high. And he, he said several times, like, when he went back to Salt Lake City, it was nowhere near as hard as going back to the Garden for the first time just because he expected to be playing for the Knicks. But he's happy now that he's with Cleveland, clearly. But um, I think today could be one of those opportunities, especially if just the Cavs come out flat or if they look rattled still or they just kind of look like they're just not doing well with the emotions and the pressure that are just coming from every angle. Yeah, this could be a game where JV says, okay, you know what? Donovan, I know you're a big-time player. You have proven time, and again, you're a big-time playoff player. We need you to put the offense on your back and just kind of carry the load. And then the Cavs kind of retool things where they focus on 
limiting New York as much as possible and then just making Donovan shoulder the entire offensive load. Like, he may not rest very often, like halftime and maybe some short bursts if he can, but this could be a game where the Cavs just say, all right, Donovan, we need you to do what you usually do for us all season long and just put the team on your back just for this game so we can get home tied up 2-2 and we have the luxury of having time off until Wednesday to kind of course correct and maybe just get our heads right so we can – continue maybe building some momentum heading back home on Wednesday. Last thing for you here, Evan, before we get you out of here, and he joins us again on the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. How should fans feel about J.B. Bickerstaff if this series ends with the Knicks in, I don't know, five or six, and um, Mm -hmm. they go home? Because we know what the conversations were even during the regular season, and we've been even getting been getting some calls today that he that people think he's the problem. So I guess what should the outlook be on him as a head coach of this team? Is he the guy you think to take them to that next level, or just the guy that kind of got them got their footing right? So I think it's a valid question. Um, I think JB Bakerstaff's the right coach for this team in the moment. I think he is the right coach in this series. Like you can give him the benefit of the doubt just because he's only coached one playoff series and that was the Rockets. And he's openly expressed like that was a miserable experience for him because he was just like coaching for his life at that point. So he was trying everything and like, wasn't enjoying what he did. And you could feel the passion and just how much he loves with this, working with this Cavs team. And it, it's very rare that teams that go through rebuilds like this, give the coach that went through the rebuild, the benefit of seeing it through like this. So uh, my buddy Ty Windish always says when things are bad, the number one excuse is just to fire the coach. You think you fix that issue. I think JB has done the most of this situation. I think the adjustments he made in game two really showed that like he understands what the playoffs are about. He understands like, the tactical X's and O's of it. Um, Tom Thibodeau clearly made some right adjustments in game three and just there's just some defensive scheming issues that like, kind of out-coach Bickerstaff here. So we'll see how he responds in game four. But I think he should stick around just because one, he got the Cavs to a 50 plus win season. He's been uh, kind of the catalyst from the coaching side of things of just developing this team and rebuilding it and building this defensive first mentality. And more than anything, Bickerstaff doesn't have over the personnel that he supplies input and he has insight and things that might be what he's looking for in terms of a certain player. But the, I, I circle back to the trade deadline when fans are getting really antsy that the Cavs just weren't involved in any of these transactions. And then Kobe Alvin said just none of these guys felt like they were players that would push us over the edge. But the Cavs' big move was getting Donovan Mitchell uh, leading into the season, and they were lacking on assets, and they didn't really have a lot of the luxury of draft picks or players at least that entice teams to make a move. And the Cavs will have the luxury of salary cap space this summer. They'll have the mid-level exception. And I think they just need to make those tangible upgrades to make bigger staffs life easier. And also I think just this playoff series is going to give the front office and the coaching staff like a clear understanding of what does and doesn't work. And maybe they course correct and then look ahead to what next season is. Cause the, the belief was never, Hey, let's win the championship. Even though the Cavs like are very elite on both ends of the floor, but this is a learning experience for everyone, bigger staff included. And I think you, give him the benefit of the doubt heading into next season. But let's say they flame out again next year in the playoffs somehow. Yet maybe you have that uncomfortable conversation at that point. But Mm -hmm. I I love the mentality where you don't want to – why would you want to mess up a good thing? Or why do you want to try and fix something that isn't quite broken? Like there's maybe just some cracks you have to fill in or just kind of just glue that back together as well. And I don't think bigger staff's the issue. Like he's been very consistent. He's always been very level-headed. He's a guy who – 
never blames his players or throws them under the bus, and he always takes fault whenever there's a bad loss and also tries to find the positive in pretty bad situations sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. I think you need to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think the Knicks are just a tough matchup. I think some maybe on the Cleveland fans on the Cleveland side of things might have underestimated what New York had just because of the overwhelming star talent Cleveland has comparatively, but New York was a tough matchup. And yeah. I just kind of thought when they drew him, I'm like, okay, you wanted to avoid the Knicks or the Heat. You ideally wanted to draw the Nets just because you saw all that went with Philly. But this, this is going to be a grind-out series. And Tom Thibodeau is a very seasoned and uh, exceptional coach. So, like, that's a tough matchup for your kind of really first foray with this rebuilding squad out here. So, for sure. again, given the benefit of the doubt, and let's say they flame out next year in the playoffs, yeah, we broached that conversation then. But I oh. think that'd just be a little bit of an overreaction when you just kind of need to fix some of the personnel and depth surrounding just this star quartet you've built. He's Evan Damerell, half of the Locked on Cast podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at AmNotEvan. Appreciate you as always, my man. We'll uh, We'll see you on Wednesday night, all right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.